people who choose youth work are truly amazing individuals. These are people who care so deeply for our young people and have a real passion for service. My name is Paul Munir. I'm the executive director of YIPA, and I'll interview some of these youth workers from around the globe, and we'll figure out just what makes them tick and drives their passion. Welcome to this edition of The Passionate Youth Worker. Hi, everybody. For this episode, we're joined by Dr. Laurel James from Maryland in the United States. And I need to point out that for this podcast, she agreed that it was okay. I just call her Laurel. So Laurel, thanks for being with us. Hi, Paul. Good day. Thanks for having me. I'm really honored to be a guest on your podcast. Well, it's wonderful to have you here. And Laurel, you're the executive director at Tri-County Youth Services Bureau. What would you say your main roles as the executive director are? So I think there are two, two main roles. Of course, as an executive director, I'm engaged in programming, ensuring that the programs meet the needs of children, youth, and families in these communities, ensuring that there's funding to keep the programs going. This is a nonprofit organization, community-based. So there's that official, formal, administrative work that gets done. But there's another component to what I do, which is I can see that part of my work is inspiring the staff who work here, but inspiring young people. So the young people who receive services, there are times when I'm able to interact with them. And so part of my role is being a role model to young people, both to our employees and to the young people whom we serve. So there's a duality to what I do. Yeah, as the executive director, I assume you wear many hats. You did mention, though, that you get to work with young people every once in a while. And um, how, how do you get to interact with young people still as the executive director? So I have what I consider to be pet projects. Um, and it's really important to me not to be too far removed from young mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. For one, I believe that if you're around young people, you'll stay young. (laughs) So don't be too far removed from young people. So I do have a couple of my own projects that I lead or co-lead with staff. One of them, for example, is a community garden that we have and that's helping young people understand that we can also grow some of what we eat that food doesn't always come only from a supermarket, but that there's Mother Earth and that we can grow some of what we eat. And then there's some social skills programs. Uh, One of my hobbies is tea. Everything about tea, I actually grow herbs um, and for making my own tea, like peppermint tea. And I visit tea rooms, I collect teapots, teacups, So I've developed a program here around tea, the benefits of tea, and um, having tea parties, tea etiquette, social skill development. And so that also keeps me 
close to young people. Um, so I do find, I make the time to, to run these programs myself, or to at least to co-facilitate some of these programs. And uh, they keep me connected to young people. And I'm not only this person who's sitting in the corner office uh, working at the computer and, and uh, working at a desk, mm -hmm. but I'm someone who's involved and I'm someone uh, in the summertime, well, prior to COVID, there are even songs that I would, I would teach, particularly around cultural programs. Um, I could teach, you know, I speak other languages, so I could uh, sing or teach some of these songs to the, to the young people who come here. Yeah, I think that's really wise of you to stay connected like that. And I bet you uh, it really is a benefit to your program. What are the things you like most about working with young people? So I think, as I said, I think working around young people keeps us young. It mm -hmm. keeps us grounded in the work. For example, young people have a different, uh, different views. They're much younger than we are. They're growing in a different age. I mean, I grew up without television, right? <laughs> yeah. I grew up without microwave, uh, without computers. It was, I must have been in grad school, in grad school, yeah, when I got a computer. So mm -hmm. I grew up with typewriters all the way to, yeah, through undergrad, we're still um, using typewriters. So young people are growing up in a different age, in a different world, and I think for me, it's really important to stay close to that world, to begin to see things through their lens. Uh, there's a different language, there's a different form of expression. And so um, that is really important to, to remain grounded and to be aware of what their experiences are, which can be much different from my own experiences growing up. It's interesting. I almost hear you saying like, um, by working with young people, there's like that secondary benefit. It keeps you young, keeps you growing, keeps you always developing. Um, it seems to me like that's fundamental to who you are and, and, um, and, and how you operate and how you run your organization. Is Yes, I think that's important. It is truly who I am, always evolving, always growing not wanting to be stagnant, uh, looking for different experiences, talking to different people about their own world. Um, I'm not sure if I mentioned to you that in my early 20s, I was on scholarship and spent two years in Italy and did at a, um, I'm Roman Catholic, so at a Catholic uh, mm -hmm. university for missionaries and we were from 40-something different countries, hmm. speaking 100 and something languages. And so that experience of being with other people, learning about their own cultures, and growing, exploring new experiences, that is really at the core of who I am. That every day is a new day. There's always something to learn. 
every day. And so I bring that to the work and being around young people helps keep me grounded, as I said, in, uh, in new experiences. Yeah, that's a, I can tell that you're always growing. Where, where did that come from? What was your upbringing like? Did, were you taught that at an early age? Wow, so I could go on, right? So so I'll keep it brief. (laughs) Um, So I was born on an island and grew up, the Uh island of Dominica in the Eastern Caribbean. It's between two French islands, Guadeloupe and Martinique. It's the part of the Caribbean that's closer to other islands like St. Lucia, Barbados. Okay. Um, so that's considered the eastern part of sure. the Caribbean. Sure. And uh, I grew up in an extended family. I had parents, uh, grandparents, great grandparents, mm. lots of grand aunts and uncles and cousins. And in a community that really cared for each other, uh, my great grandmother was someone who was always helping older people. Well, she died at age 88. So as a child, I always saw older people coming for assistance. Maybe she could sew. She had a hand machine. She would be sewing stuff. But one of the things she taught me was the ability to help other people. Mm. I think I gave you that story. that there were people at that time in the 50s and 60s, we were still a British colony. Mm -hmm. And so people would migrate to the United Kingdom. And so there were children who would be sending home remittances, sending, you know, in those days, the pound, the British pound, and maybe 25 pounds at Christmas time. And so my great grandmother would send me over to write these thank you letters. Mm -hmm. And so these older people, older cousins would in our French Creole uh, share the thank you for the 25 pounds that you sent to me. I was able to buy sugar or I needed to fix something in the house, do some repairs. And this is what I did with it. I hope I'll see you one day. Of course, some of these kids never returned home. They ended up dying in the United Kingdom. Hmm. But this was like a regular practice. I must have been eight years old and um, learning to, it was a service to these older relatives to be able to convey thanks for what they had received. And so that, that, was, that was really early in my development that I had that experience. And I know that you had... Um an extended family and, and uh, you and I have had the, the luxury to talk about your dad. Um, you had an incredible father. Um, could you talk a little bit about your dad? Yes, so thanks Paul. So my dad passed about a month, month ago at the mm-hmm. ripe old age of 92. Mm. Um, he was a retired school principal, had been in the teaching had a teaching career that lasted about 42, 43 years. But in the Caribbean growing up, the school principal is more than a school principal. Mm -hmm. He's really, it's a headmaster 
or a headmistress. So in his case, a headmaster. And the role is extended beyond the walls of the classroom or beyond the walls of the school. So for example, if someone uh, were traveling abroad and needed someone to recommend them for a passport, for example, you would come to the headmaster and the headmaster uh, prepared a recommendation. Um, if you, there's a juvenile court, for instance, once a week. And so the headmaster goes to the juvenile court to assist with whatever the, the case was about. Uh, parents would come to our house to, to talk to my father about difficulties they were having with their children. Or people who needed advice on anything about land, about traveling, about their marriages or whatever it was. And so that I witnessed that on a daily basis, the role that my father played in the community and that it's more than being a school principal, it's really being a community leader yeah. and the significance of service to others. And that, that is a lasting lesson for me. Do you think your dad um, instilled those community leader values in you? Was it, it, it I, I, you got them. Was it intentional or not? I don't think, I don't think he set out to um, like pound it in our heads. But mm -hmm. I think it, the message was there that, that we had a responsibility. And so even helping uh, students who weren't academically sound, that was something we did from a very young age. And actually three of us entered the teaching profession. Um, so yeah, my dad was an excellent example. Another example, you know, I just thought of it, my grandmother on my mother's side was this community. She died a few years ago. And we, I remember speaking at a funeral about so many lessons that I learned from her about service. Oh my God, I think if there were 10 community organizations in her village, she was a member of every wow. single organization. Sure. The Credit Union Movement, the Social League of Catholic Women, Everything you could think of, my grandmother was a member. And so that sense of service for others, service to others, that, that was, it was present in everyday, everyday life, just all around me. Yeah. And that really carried forward. You can tell um, it's, it's still in you. So I'm really sorry for the loss of your dad. Thank you. Thank you. There were, just to add one thing, um, as people sent messages of condolence to us, mm -hmm. there were particularly from uh, people who are now retired teachers themselves, they sent quotations that they learned from my father. These are people who are now in their 70s and they could remember as students some of the lessons they learned from him. And we thought, oh my goodness, you know, these people can remember that. My father would quote 
oh my God, I thought he was Shakespeare's brother, but he could <laughs> quote. And these people, just as we remember some of these quotations, uh, they have remembered these quotations. And so they sent uh, these quotations in their messages. It was so comforting. It was very comforting to us. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing your stories about your dad. And we're going to take just a little break. But when we come back, I would like to learn more about um, your hopes and aspirations and your frustrations as it relates to your work. So we'll be right back after this short break. No matter how you support our young people, Yippa has your training needs covered. Visit yippa.org, that's yipa.org to see for yourself and then join the thousands of youth workers around the globe who learn from our easy to access exceptional trainings. Members enjoy free unlimited access to live online and on-demand trainings and a preferred discount pricing for our one-of-a-kind certification training. Annual memberships are just $99 for individuals and only $250 for your entire organization. Visit yipa.org today to learn more. That's yipa.org. And we're back. We're with uh, Dr. Laurel James from Maryland in the United States. Uh, Laura, when we um, left before the break, we were talking about your father and, and inspirations and hope and all that kind of stuff. What, what hopes do you have uh, as it relates to youth work right now? So good question. I think that, you know, there's a common saying that young people are the hope of tomorrow, their tomorrow's future. But I believe that young people are the today, hmm. not only tomorrow, they're here today, they're young now. There's no need to wait for tomorrow. The present is now, right? And there's so many things happening in our world today and young people are at the forefront. And so I'm really excited and hopeful because I see young people stepping up, as we say, stepping up to the plate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> They'll, if we think back to the 60s, the number of movements that uh, young people, you know, when we were young, minus the gray hair, when we were that age, that we were involved in whatever movement, well, this is what's happening now, that young people are involved in movements today. If we look at what's happening in our society around social justice and equity, it's young people leading that movement. The Black Lives Matter, that is being led by young people. And so I'm very hopeful that our young people, today's young people, will be the ones at the forefront of change in our society. What do you think we need to do as youth workers to support that movement? Because I agree with you. Um, we do see young people more engaged now than even 10 years ago uh, in civics and uh, trying to policy change, those kinds of things. How do we need to support them, Laurel? So here's what I think we need to do. You know, some of the things we could be doing mm -hmm. is to be present, be present to young people. We don't need to walk 
front of them, we need to walk with them. Mm. We mm -hmm. need to walk side by side. Right. We need to listen to young people. Because we have a tendency as older people to say, well, I've been there. When I was your age, this is what <laughs> I was doing. You know, I was cutting the grass to make some money in the summertime. You know, and so we have a tendency to do that, to talk at young people rather than talking with young people and rather than listening to young people, right? And so we're the role models. We're role models. That's who we are. There's a saying that I like, um, all young people need one caring adult. That's all we need. It's from the Search Institute, actually out in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. That's mm -hmm. where they are. Um, all young, um, and this isn't a plug for the Search Institute. <laughs> I'm not advertising, but, um, but every, young person needs at least one caring adult and that's who we are as you as youth workers we can be that one caring adult who can make a difference so as your role as the executive director um do you try to inspire your teammates and your uh people that work with you to to carry on this passion that you were given as a young person yourself? Yes, I try. I do try. So there are two components, right? As, as an executive director, mm -hmm. there's the, and you and I have spoken about that, but most of the staff, in fact, all of the staff we hire have degrees in some social science, uh, in the social sciences, sociology, psychology, social work, marriage, family therapy. And the majority of staff are therapists coming in with a, with a medical model to do therapy. Yeah. But we do have some staff who are youth development interventionists. But for all of the staff, what is important to me is that training in youth work, which is how we found you. We found Yupa. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I was wondering, you know, there is no degree in, in youth work. I think only two universities in the US offer a degree in youth work. And so the training is very critical. But separate from that formal training, there's also the inspiration. There's the, you can tell I'm a storyteller. So mm -hmm. there's sharing the stories and helping our staff to see young people as people with potential, not only people to be diagnosed from the DSM, but people who come with strengths, with talents, and all they need is a safe space where they can be themselves. And so I spend a lot of time talking about my own upbringing, the value of youth work, the value of youth development, of meeting young people where they are. And um, so talking to staff or sharing with staff the importance of bringing who we are to the work. So not only the mechanics of, 
I need to facilitate this eight-week program, but it's also who I am that I bring to yes. this work. Yes. It isn't only, oh, I need to complete this curriculum, right? This is just the stuff on paper. But we need to be authentic. We need to be genuine. And young people need to know that we do care about them and that we bring ourselves to the work. I like to say that we're called to the work, not to sound religious and holy, but that this is truly a calling and we bring our passion to it. We bring who we are to this work. It's not only what we do, but it's who we are that we bring to it. Those are great words, and um, thank you for sharing that. So you've got so much hope and so much passion, but I got to believe from time to time you get frustrated, you get bogged down, you don't feel as hopeful. What are some of the things that cause you to be frustrated or lose that little bit of edge of that optimism? So I think... There are days when I'm stuck at my desk doing all this paperwork and administrative stuff and I'm trying to figure out um, the finances. You know, it's the administrative uh, components of, of being the director of an organization. The, um, there's the change, the are constant changes based on political agendas, right? And that sometimes there's a tendency to follow the money, you know? And so as the political agenda for the state changes, so we're also changing. And uh, there's, there's a, the risk of moving away from the core of who you are as an organization, right? And so there's, there's a, a frustration around that. There's a frustration of being bogged down with administrative work and the deadlines and the, you know, the mechanics of the job. That can be frustrating. But I'm never frustrated by as tired as I am some days. If a young person were to call or text, because mm -hmm. we do a lot of social media, I'm suddenly energized, mm. re-energized. It could be midnight and there's a call and I'm going to be up and wide awake and being able to respond. Beautiful. When, when you have these frustrations as, as a leader, how important is it for you to share that with your team or, or do you not share that and just try to keep that happy face or how do you handle frustrations with your team? Yeah. So there are two teams, right? There's a board of directors. I'm mm -hmm. very open about my frustrations with the board. And then the staff, I'm very open about what is happening. Um, every year we're part of the, there's a, we do have a legislative day. And so my staff are very aware of what the legislative issues are. If we're able to participate in any of the hearings, the staff, are able to attend some of these hearings. So I'm very open. I think it's it's fair, very fair 
who are, um, actually we have quite a broad range of staff. We have young people and we also have people in their 70s, grandparents hmm. um, who, work, who worked at this organization. Um, and so there are different concerns for young people who are getting married and having children and raising families. Uh, there are those concerns for them. And so I, I try to be as honest as possible with what's happening with changes, changes in programming, changes in funding. So everyone is aware of what's happening. It could be to my detriment because <laughs> there's also staff turnover, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, but what I try to do is to be honest about the nonprofit world. And I presented this organization as learning ground. This is where you're going to learn about young people. This is an opportunity for you to enter the world of human services. And so I do not expect you to be here till the end of your career. But for the time that you're here, make it count. Make it count so that every young person who encounters you or that you encounter is going to walk away changed, transformed, that you've made a difference in their lives. Make it count. Yeah, that's really good. And, and Laura, we're running low on our time together. Um, but I would like to ask you, what words of inspiration or wisdom would you like to share with our listeners? Yeah, so there are a couple of things. Um, I might have said it earlier. All kids are our kids. That's the title of a book, by the way, but I, mm -hmm. I just really love it. All kids are our kids. That's... Um, so that's one. But if we come to the workplace or to the field and we see every young person, every child as ours, that's going to make a major difference, right? Because we would want someone to treat our children the way we would treat them. And the other, um, the other maybe words of, in, in terms of words of inspiration, is that doing youth work is a calling. And this is not to be preachy or religious, but, but this is truly a vocation. And if you feel it inside of you, when you wake up in the morning and you feel this passion inside of you, I usually say, what's boiling in your belly? And if it's coming to work and being with young people and you're excited about meeting with them and helping them work on a project or putting their resumes together or whatever it is, you're in the right place. This is your calling. Be passionate about it. We're here to make a difference. Make a difference and make a difference today. Every day when you wake up, you say, I'm going to make a difference in a young person's life today. Well, those are wonderful words of wisdom and inspiration to conclude on. And, and I um, am, am so impressed with your passion and your service to others. 
your sense of optimism. Uh, you truly are uh, just a, a wonderful person. And we're so lucky to have you in this world and, and lucky to have you uh, on our side as we try to advocate for our young people. So thank you for being a guest on the show today. So thank you, Paul, and thanks to Yipa. I'm so happy that I discovered you guys a few years ago. And thanks for all the great work that you're doing. Really, thank you on behalf of young people out in the world. Thank well, thank you. you. And, and thank you to all the listeners, because we know that there's wonderful people out there that are tuning into this podcast that day in and day out, share your passion and uh, do incredible things with young people. And we are forever grateful for your service and commitment to them. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to it wherever you found us. If you have feedback for us, either positive or negative, just let us know. We'd love to hear from you. You can do that by visiting our website at yipa.org. That's Y-I-P-A.org. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Passionate Youth Worker. I'm your host, Paul Munir. If you have a passion for youth work and would like to be featured as a guest on The Passionate Youth Worker, just visit us at yipa.org. That's Y-I-P-A.org and click on the podcast tab and send us your information. This podcast was made available in part from the generous donation from M Health Fairview. We're grateful for their support. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Paul Munir. Please join us again for The Passionate Youth Worker.